So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to pause from Samuel and head over to the New Testament and be in Matthew 28 today. <clears throat> Before I jump into that, I got a, I got a confession and a word of honesty maybe we need to grab a hold of. And maybe this is to, to other pastors, to other believers, to maybe Sunday school teachers and, and Bible study guys and, and that kind of stuff. But here's what it is, because you see, Haley was a little disappointed yesterday when she realized that they weren't going to get to do the dance that they had planned and all this stuff for, for this Sunday with some of the other girls. And I began to think, and I was like, man, you know, and not that that attitude is, is wrong. We should want to do things for the Lord. That's, that's the good part. But then it hit me. We spend so much time sometimes, maybe even money buying new outfits, you know, advertising and, and, and just talking up this Sunday. And we're always so concerned about what we can make it. I got news for other pastors, myself and everybody else. It's not about what we can make it. It's about what he's already made it. And we need to grab a hold of that, remember that and claim that. Uh, rather than being disappointed that, that this resurrection day is going to be different than the norm and we're not going to get to do some of the, the cool things that we wanted to do and, and neat things that we wanted to do. Let's just be grateful that we serve a God that is made today a great day. You know, we, we even talk about and try to compare and I, and I understand it because I love sports. But we try to compare like today to to the Super Bowl uh, for, for church. And, and I think that's great uh, because when I think about it, here's the way I kind of look at it. If I had to give a sports analogy on this stuff, it would be the, the the birth of Christ would be the start of the season. And then today would be the championship game. And we win. And, and there's no denying that we win. But we win it every year. And we win again. And we win again. And we went again. And while my Cowboys may have had a dynasty in the 90s and the Patriots may have a dynasty, a much longer lasting dynasty in the 2000s, Christ's dynasty lasts forever. It is something that is never fading out, that's never going to fade out. And, and as much as some of us may get disappointed, we need to remember how sweet it is to celebrate Christ's victory every single year. And, and I think more than ever, maybe this year, we finally started to celebrate it maybe a little bit more rightly. If that's if that's proper English, you know, we we set aside some of the things that we've been distracted by and, and we've had. Hopefully you guys have been following some of the the quotes on on Facebook on, on what to read each day. And we've been spending some time, you know, looking at Holy Week, looking at exactly what went on uh, during this week of, of Passover, during this festival and and all the things that Christ was was doing and practicing and why he was doing those things and and why he was practicing the things and why he said some of the things he he said. Uh, and if you missed that opportunity, well, then good news. You're still on quarantine and you still got plenty of time to go back and open God's word and check out uh, what went on the last week. Why? Why was he doing what he's doing? Why is he he's going to do, you know, what's what's to come in, in, in the future days and, and that type of stuff. So this morning, open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at a, at a story that's told in all four of the Gospels. But Matthew 28 words, uh, a couple things, a little extra. Uh, and I titled it, even though you don't get a connection or anything, I titled this thing Seeking Jesus. And you need to ask yourself this morning, does that describe you? Are you seeking Jesus? Not seeking a holiday, not seeking church, not seeking a routine, not seeking a religion. But are you seeking the Lord, Yahweh, and are you seeking his ways? You could better even ask it maybe this way. Why are you here this morning? Not, not why are you, you know, 15 people sitting in here with me, but why did you log on today? Why did you want to check things out? Why have you listened 
to this message if you're listening to it a little bit after the, the live recording. Are you here and listening just because it's quote unquote Easter on a calendar? Are you, are you here because it's the right thing to do on a Sunday? Are, are you here just because, you know, sadly, I looked at a poll this week that and, and the question was one question poll. They questioned 100 believers, believers now and 100 believers. They question what difference would it make if Christ had not resurrected? Forty six percent. That's 46 people then said it wouldn't have made much of a difference at all. Wouldn't have made much of a difference at all. You've totally missed it. You know, how can you call yourself a believer and the resurrection wouldn't change anything about your daily life if it did or didn't happen? It, it, it went on to some couple other percentages and I forgot to write them down, so I apologize. But but what it boiled down to was only 10 percent. That's 10 out of 100. Only 10 of them said it would make all the difference in the world. All And it better for believers have made all the difference in the world. So So I ask you again to think about this morning. Why are you here? Why are you here? What, are you seeking Christ? I never quite understood that whole seeking thing until I fell in love with my wife and I realized that she had to seek out Christ to find him. When we got together, we weren't exactly equally yoked, thank God, 15 years ago now. Uh, you know, and I, and I knew that wasn't exactly right, but you know, we make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And, but in that process, she began to seek God. It wasn't any fancy thing I said. It wasn't any, any cool illustration as much as I wanted to give the illustrations and make them the, the thing that did it. It was while she sat by herself in her bedroom seeking the Lord that she found him. And Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Some of us right now this morning are saying, you know, I've been seeking God. Have you really been seeking God with all your heart, though? Not just seeking God for emotions, not just seeking God for 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 this this idea of religion. But have you really been seeking Yahweh, not just a God, but the God with all of your heart? Seeking him with all of your heart, meaning that whatever you find is going to have to be the truth and you're going to have to change some of the things about you. and You're going to have to follow and be, begin to do the things that he says you should do rather than the things you want to do. Some of you are disappointed because you haven't been seeking God with all your heart. But I rest assured by reading that verse that it says you will never be disappointed if you seek God with all your heart. If you're willing to actually seek him out, you can't be disappointed. Look at the women in the scripture that Haley just read for us in Matthew chapter 28. They were seeking Jesus. And I would say by the end here, verses 8 through 10, they were not disappointed. So examine your life this morning and ask yourself, are you seeking Jesus the same way these women did? These women who, who would seek the Lord no matter what. I think we get three big lessons and then I want us to spend some some time since we are doing, you know, this gathering a little bit different ways. Then I want to spend some time with, with a different kind of closing. But 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 here's the three lessons. So go ahead and write them down and leave room for, for some notes. Number one, they desperately seek Jesus, meaning that they put Christ first. He wasn't a secondary thing. He wasn't a third thing. He wasn't fourth, fifth or on down the, the list of priorities. He was number one. And number one is this. Read, read the very first verse. Verse one, after the Sabbath. Notice that they had to do it after the Sabbath meant that they were already being obedient to scripture and, and the law that they were supposed to be being obedient to. Uh, there, there's some of our things we miss because we're not being obedient to other parts of scripture. 
Maybe that's why we're, we're missing out on some of the things that Christ got for us. But after the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary and the other Mary went to the tomb. Mary's, or, uh, Matthew is talking about these Marys here. And, and I don't know if it's a great significant lesson for you, but, but Mary Magdalene and the other Mary is what it's described as. Here's two women that are traveled. They traveled with Jesus when he was here. They traveled with the disciples. They helped them meet their needs. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus had cast out seven demons uh, from, from Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, but Matthew 27, 56, uh, lets us know that that's Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. So, so we know exactly who we're at and, and what these ladies had already been through with this. And we get to this verse and it says they set off to Jesus's tomb after the Sabbath on the first day of the week. Now, the Sabbath being Saturday. So so this is a Sunday event that's taking place the seventh day of the week. It's a special day or the Sabbath was a special day. Uh, the seventh day that, that was uh, designated for rest by the Lord uh, here this particular week. If you if you've done some of the reading, hopefully through this week that we've been posting up there, you've saw that it's Passover week. So you've got two Sabbaths back to back. This isn't just a normal uh, week where there, where there would just be the one. You've got two back to back. So you've got two days of, of what we would call rest and please study because there's a whole lot more to it than that. But that's that's the basic reason why these ladies have waited. Uh, to get here, these same ladies were the ladies who watched Jesus's body be laid in the tomb, according to Matthew chapter 27, verse 61. And you just got to pause right there and think about it. These were the ladies that watched Jesus's body be laid in the tomb. And these are the same ladies that raced to get up the first opportunity that they they could. But by doing it God's way and, and they did, they knew exactly where they were going. Because there's there's a there's a story out there that tries to say that they checked the wrong tomb. Uh, well, that'd be an easy way to, to disprove. Uh, that they had checked the wrong tomb and they just went to the right tomb then and found Jesus's body. These ladies knew exactly where they were going. And I think it's why these two ladies that Matthew makes sure to understand on who we're talking about. And maybe for, for some of us today, we need to go back to the last place we saw Jesus. So that we can be reminded of maybe whatever that moment was for us, maybe whatever that that lesson did for us. And, and that la- that last moment may have been something in scripture. It may have been at, at a special place. Uh, whatever it is doesn't necessarily matter, but we need to get back to the last place we know we saw Christ and see what Christ has for us at that moment. Sabbath was beginning for these ladies after they saw Jesus be laid in the tomb at 2761. Sabbath's beginning. They race home. They rest. They're obedient to the Lord's command. I would say it's probably clear that they they probably weren't doing the best rest that they could have because I imagine their minds were going crazy for two days thinking about all Friday night and all Saturday and all Saturday night, thinking about Jesus, thinking about what they had just witnessed, thinking about what they had saw on, on, on that hill, thinking about what they had saw as they laid that body to rest, thinking about the things that he had said and, and those last lessons from that week, those those words and illustrations that he had given them through the course of those those years that he had spent with them. And they're laying there and they're laying there and they're laying there. And then we get to this part right here where we're at in verse one, where it says the Sabbath was over. And they went out. They brought the necessary spices and, and and prepared the perfumes to anoint Jesus's body. I point that out for this. We got that from some of the other gospels. We need to understand these these ladies didn't really know for sure what they were going to find. They intended to go find a dead body, Jesus, lying in a tomb, and they prepared to go anoint that body because they didn't get to before the Sabbath as as they wanted to. So at the very first light, it says, and I got to point that out because the text literally says, as it began to dawn. 
in this verse. As it began to dawn, which means they didn't even wait for the sun to come all the way up. I guarantee you, as soon as Sabbath was over, they started making preparations right there at the house while it was still dark, still nighttime. It's still dark and they get up and they race. They race to this tomb so that they can arrive at the tomb at first light of day. The very first opportunity they had, they sought out to seek Jesus. And, and you got to pause right here and write this down. Even if you're not a note taker, please write down these two things. I thought it was incredibly neat. And you only get it if you study in, in some of the more original language. The English does do a good job at, at translating it. But verse one, so write down this and then we'll come back to this in verse eight. Verse one, look at that word tomb. That word too means grave or burial place. Kind of seems obvious. Same thing we think of when we think of a tomb, a place that you're going to bury. It literally or uh, specifically would translate out into bury. Uh, so just write that down. Note that. I know that's kind of a cliffhanger for a little while. We'll come back to that in verse eight and, and see exactly what Matthew's doing with those with those words. But here's what I want you to see at this very beginning. These women came seeking Jesus at the very first possible moment that they could as soon as they could. As soon as they could. Yet how often is it in our own personal lives that we're waiting? We're waiting to do things God's way. We're waiting until we get this. We're waiting until we get that. We're, we're even waiting till we understand more or, or till we grab uh, more. I would say if these ladies went with spices and perfumes to go uh, prepare a dead body and there wasn't a dead body there, they didn't really understand either exactly what they were going to do. So why wait till we understand to actually go and seek out the things that God wants us to get? Probably some of the biggest lessons we could get this week more than any other as we watch what Christ did. And then we watch what these ladies are doing also is that we need to start putting Christ first. First in our thoughts, first in our hearts and first in our actions. You could ask where are the disciples on this morning? Why, why weren't they there? Some of them were probably still in bed sleeping. Some of them were probably even hiding. Some of them. We don't know. We don't know. It's speculation. Only thing we know is that these ladies sought something that was more pressing, more important and more precious than anything else. And that was seeking Jesus. And every day when we get up in the morning, we ought to do that same thing. Our morning time ought to have some sort of a ritual in it that has seeking Christ first, whether it be in seeking him in prayer, seeking him in his word, seeking him in quietness, seeking him in praise. And you might be thinking, man, that sounds kind of radical. And if I'm going to start my day like that, that, that's going to be kind of different than the way I've been starting my day. Well, I think Christianity is called to be radical. I think that we ought to not just have a, a radical Islam. We ought to have some radical believers out there. We ought to have some radical followers of Christ that are going to do things some radical ways. And you're thinking, well, well that's going to change my plans. Yeah, it's all right. I think it's OK for your plans to get changed. I think it's OK for you to start making some preparations and, and, and maybe even using what we used last week with, with our victory list. From last week, get you a good victory list going so that when you wake up in the morning, you know instantly what to start praising him for. Rather than thinking about all the negative things that you've got and letting little tiny problems become the biggest. Isn't that exactly what these ladies are doing in Matthew 28? They made preparations. They planned ahead and they seeked out Jesus no matter what. Desperately seeking Jesus, not, not just putting Christ first in your day, but putting Christ first in your life, putting Christ first in, in everything you do. We, we sing a song just before Haley read that talked about him being king. And you better believe he is king of his kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Are you seeking first his kingdom? Because if you are, then it's not just a, a once a week uh, kind of thing where he gets number one. It's not just a once a year or once a month. It's an everyday kind of thing. A king is king every day. 
And this is his kingdom that we're talking about. Jesus Christ in his first and rightful place of your life is number one. And if you feel distant from Christ right now, you need to ask yourself, what's come between you and him? What's come between you and him? And you need to write that down so that you know what to be aware of and get rid of. It could be a person. It could be a thing. It could be a situation. It could be a sin. I don't know what yours is, but if he's not number one, you've allowed something to creep in and and put themselves in place in between you and Christ. Because those that want to seek him, they put Christ first. Second thing we see from these ladies. Verses two through six. Probably one of our biggest excuses that we often use. Am Am I right? Here it is. Desperately seeking Jesus means that we're going to let nothing stand in our way. We're going to let nothing stand in our way. We often give excuses for everything. We often say that we don't seek Jesus as much as we could because of all the obstacles that are around us. We don't do things Jesus's way because of the obstacles that get in the way when we do things his way. Perhaps you got a busy schedule. Perhaps you got some burden. Perhaps you got a difficulty you're facing. Perhaps you got an obstacle. Well, whatever that obstacle is, when it comes to seeking Christ, we're to let nothing stand in our way. Look at these women. These women had some obstacles. The very first obstacle they have is the guards. And and I got to point something out here while we think about the guards. The Jewish leaders got permission from Pilate to, to post guards over the tomb. Why? Just in case the disciples tried to steal the body and pretend that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, this blows my mind for this reason right here. The enemy is believing more of what Jesus said would happen than his own followers. The enemy, the enemy knew, hold on, his body's going to go missing. We got to do something to protect it. Now, they couldn't protect it. They couldn't stop the body from missing. But the enemy. And I'm afraid sometimes, church, for us as followers, that we've allowed the enemy to believe more than we believe. The the disciples should have raced in that morning with the ladies. It should have been a race for everybody to see who got there first so they could find out how early Jesus said went missing. Not not in stealing the body, but in knowing of what Jesus said was going to happen. Not just the guards, which, by the way, that would have been a big feat for for two ladies because these would have been top notch soldiers and guards guarding this thing. But another another obstacle they had was this stone. Now, this isn't like a graveyard we have outside. This would have been a, a stone tomb, a hole cut in it at the very bottom, which would have most likely, if you, if you grab some pictures and stuff, there's some very accurate ones out there of, of tombs over there in this area right now. But, but it would have had a, almost like a slight decline where the stone would have rolled down so it stayed down covering the entrance to this tomb. So, so the fact of, of even it being a small tomb, which we know this one wasn't because it was a brand new tomb, but even if it had been a small tomb, it would have taken multiple men, not little boys, but multiple men to take this stone and be able to roll it back up the incline to check out what's going inside. Yet not a one of these women sat there and said, you know what? They got guards. You know what? There's a stone. You know what? It's really early and it's dark and I might stub my toe. You, you know, we've really got other things that we could be doing and we're going to have to figure out how to get our lives back to normal now that Jesus got. Yet none of them made these excuses. None of them let the obstacles stop them from seeking Christ. Now, I'm talking to to some of us who are believers, but I'm also talking this morning to some of us that maybe we're not believers. Maybe we want to believe. Maybe we we genuinely, genuinely do have a desire to to seek out this this thing that some of our friends and our family have. And and we've got questions about it. And I just want to encourage you, stop letting obstacles get in your way. Be bold enough to open the word of God and check things out. 
Be bold enough to study and investigate and listen and seek out these things of God. Because if you do scripture promises, if you seek me, you will find me. But you got to seek him with all your heart. You got to stop letting obstacles get in the way. You got to start letting stop letting other things become more important than seeking out him in his way. Now, now, some of us who are believers, we need to understand that we need to start seeking out the ways of God and stop with this traditional stuff that we've been doing forever. We need to we need to stop. Stop with the, the fact that, well, that's the, the biggest excuse ever. That's the way it's always been. Dumbest excuse you could give. Just because that's the way it's always been does not mean it's right. It means probably that there's more problems because generally when we continue to do the same thing over and over. Generally, that means somebody started doing it wrong. Because if I've, at least for me, let me say this for myself, for me and my walk with Christ, I've had to change lots of things the more I grow in my knowledge with him. And, and I look forward to more things changing. I would never be bold enough to tell you this morning that everything I know right now is perfect in the way it is and the way it should always be. No, I pray that I can open this thing and get changed every single time. I pray that my eyes are open and my heart is open and my brain is open to see more and more of the way of Christ the more I open it. I think every year ought to be something new and something different that I've learned that I have to change. If I tell you today that I've got it all, that is weak minded. That is weak minded. So any believer that says right now I've got it all and I don't ever need anything else. You are dead wrong. Open your heart to understand that you can grow. Don't be so weak minded to think that you can't grow in your knowledge of Christ. Don't think that, that, you know, don't don't be one of the ones that think, oh, it's the same story every year. Man, just reading over Passover week and, and, and Holy Week. With the kids this week, I've had my eyes open to so many new little things that were there that I should have already grabbed that I didn't. So I'm grateful that I'm growing, that I'm changing, and I'm learning. And here's the lesson, or another lesson for us, right? Don't let anything stand in your way, but when stuff gets in your way, here's here's the cool part about the story. When you focus on seeking Jesus, instead of focusing on all the obstacles in your path, God has a way of removing all the obstacles for you. I, I love that. That should excite some believers. They, the ladies didn't have to do anything to remove the obstacles from in front of them. All they did was focus solely on seeking Christ and his ways. And God took care of all the obstacles. Believers, if we would start seeking the way of Christ, God will take care of the obstacles. He'll get rid of the obstacles for us. Look at what it says. Verses two through four. There was a violent earthquake. I love this scripture. has got to call it violent. I, I don't know of any earthquake that's probably not violent. Uh, they all seem very violent, but I can't imagine how violent this one must have been when it actually has to put the word violent in front of it. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Can you picture that? Just picture the scene. So you've got a stone that would have taken multiple strong men to move this, this stone up the incline that it would have rolled down to lock the tomb down. Yet you've got this angel that comes down, rolls the stone by himself, and then sits on it like, what's up now? I mean, just just picture this scene. This is an awesome scene, man. This is an awesome scene. In verse three, it describes it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. One angel from God, both obstacles removed just like that. I mean, this is a beautiful thing right here. This is beautiful. Even in the even in the, the description of the angel. I don't know if everybody gets this or if everybody can relate to, to the picture that comes to my mind. You know, you see snow at night and it's pretty and it's white. And that, that's about it. But but if you've ever stayed somewhere for me, it would only be West Virginia when I go skiing. But but if you've ever stayed somewhere where you got a lot of snow. And you wake up the next morning and that sun hits it. 
I mean, it is the brightest, most dazzling thing you could ever picture if you never saw it. I mean, it, it, it is blinding at certain angles. This, this is not just a, 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 what is it, a grain of snow, an article of snow, whatever it is. This is not just a particle of snow that is white and pretty. Don't laugh at me. Flake. This is not just a flake of snow. I'm flaky. There you go. This is not just a flake of snow that is falling and white and pretty. This is piles of snow. We know that, that, that black absorbs all the, all the colors. How about white? White reflects it all, right? So now you've got this, this great group of flakes <laughs> of whiteness absorb, uh, reflecting all the color. I mean, this is the brightness. I'm doing a really poor job, so check it out yourself in a real life thing. But you need to see how bright this would be. And, and that's what I kind of read when I see these words, especially when I go back. I'm big at checking out the, 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 some of the more original language. And it describes it as this. A blinding light, a dazzling appearance, dazzling in brightness. Uh, th- this is not just your normal, oh, look, it's an angel wearing white like we see in plays of churches all the time. We have undercut how beautiful, majestic, and terrifying, might I add at the same time, angels really would be. Th- this is not, what, what's her name, Roma Downey, uh, coming down in her, in her suit pants. Uh, some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. We were allowed to watch Touch Fine Angels as a kid growing up, so I, so I remember that. Uh, you know, this is not her. This is not her. It says that it's a terrifying sight. Terrifying. So terrifying, in fact, that not only uh, is an angel coming, but Matthew says that the angel appears with a violent earthquake. Now, I don't even believe for me that it can be. I don't care if it is. But I don't believe this would have been an, a normal earthquake where the tectonic plates were, were shifting. I believe this was an earthquake because the spiritual realm has now broken to the physical realm. And it shook things up. And it made things different. It made things happen. The same thing that would have happened, I believe, in Matthew chapter 27 when Matthew described an earthquake that took place on Good Friday. I believe I believe spiritual realm was breaking into the physical realm and it was shaking things up. And you could say it this way. The earth shook at Christ's passion and the earth shook at Christ's resurrection. It shook at the passion because it could not bear his suffering and it shook at the resurrection because it couldn't hinder his rising. And that's powerful right there when the whole earth has to shake things up to make sure we get it. Kind of, kind of maybe even what he would have told those, those Pharisees just a week earlier when they said, hey, you need to quiet your crowd down. And he said, if I quiet them down, the rocks are going to cry out. Well, maybe the crowd got quiet and the rocks had to cry out. And there's what's happening and what's going on. And there's some excitement that has to happen. Everything is shaking. And this angel rolls this incredible heavy stone out the way and then sits on it. With, with the phrase, like, now what? It tells us this about the guards. I don't want to miss this either. Verse 4, the guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. It didn't kill them. They became like dead men. So, so you got two things, maybe more that could have really happened. Here's one of them. They fainted. They were so amazed and so blown away by what happened, they fainted. Or better yet, <laughs> I don't know if this is it. This is just another option. You've got some of the most equipped, terrifying soldiers ever trained to guard something valuable, and they're all playing dead. They are so scared. They're laid out, eyes closed. You know, like when you were a little kid playing dead or if an animal was going to attack and you would play dead, hoping that it passes over you. And they're just playing dead, laying there. Here's the irony of verse 4 of what's really going on. You've got a ground shaking from an earthquake while you've got guards shaking with fear. You've got Jesus who rose from the dead And you've got guards who become like dead men. Look at the irony that Matthew is painting in this picture. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. 
And it doesn't say that this, this angel drew a sword. It doesn't even say that he spoke to the keepers of the tomb. It said that his presence intimidated them so much that they began to fall out like they were dead, whether they fainted or began to play dead. I wonder what would happen, church, if some of us as followers of Christ would start acting who we're supposed to be acting like and doing what we're supposed to We wouldn't have to draw swords and we wouldn't even have to say certain stuff. Just the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us would make a difference in the lives that we began to live. And people would get out of our way. And we begin to make this kingdom the way it's supposed to be so that when Christ returns, he can be proud of what we've turned it into and prepared it for rather than disappointed. The resurrection of Christ, a subject of terror to the servants of sin and a subject of comfort to the sons of God. Why? Because it is proof of the resurrection to both. Proof of the resurrection. Think about it. If you were a servant of sin, then the resurrection brings shame on you. Because you realize, holy cow, I was wrong. And this is real, kind of like the centurion, which would be a great study for you to do at home this week. Right. Or, or the other one, if you if, if bring a comfort to the sons of God, this is eternal glory. This, this is the promise coming true. This this is the resurrection being real. He's not resuscitated, by the way. We mix up some of these words and we think that he's not resuscitated. He's resurrected. He's got a new body. New things are going on here. Verse five. The angel speaks to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Again, she repeats, or he repeats, because I believe he's a man. But do not be afraid. How terrified must these ladies have looked that the angel had to say it twice. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. A phrase, by the way, I point out that they never said to the guards. And here's why. And here's why I believe it, at least. These women, it said they came seeking Jesus. When you come seeking Jesus, Christ will meet you and he will tell you, you don't have nothing to be afraid of. I'll take care of all this stuff. But if you're doing things for the wrong motive, the wrong reason, or maybe with no heart, then you might not hear the words, don't be afraid. And maybe that's why the guards, while they were there, they weren't there for the right reason and they don't hear the words, don't be afraid. The ladies get to hear these words, don't be afraid. She even, or he even tells them, I don't know why I keep saying her. I'm very sorry for that because angels are all men that I know of. All right, so anyway, check this thing. So don't call your little girl an angel. That's a bad thing, right? <laughs> Unless she's a fallen. No, I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> the, the women, tra- the women or the, the angel translate what, what it says right here. Looking for it. The actual word is to seek. There's where we got the title. Seeking, seeking Jesus. Right. Have you come seeking Jesus this morning? Because if you have, I want to make sure, you know, you don't have to be afraid of this thing. Sometimes we read so much in scripture that we get afraid of it. We, we check out things and we're like, ah, I don't know about that. That's kind of crazy. acting. You don't have nothing to be afraid of. If you're coming with the right motive and seeking out the ways of God, stop being afraid. He's got it. Hebrews chapter 114 says this. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? This is awesome, man. Because if you are seeking Jesus, what this says is that God is on your side and his angels are on your side too. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like being outnumbered. So to know that God is on my side and his angels are on my side is really good news. And it's really positive for me. This angel identified Jesus as the one who was crucified. Make sure they understand that we're talking about the same person, right? They didn't come looking for a risen Christ. They came looking for a crucified Christ. And I point that out for this right here. Remember, they brought their spices, their perfumes to anoint the body. Here's what I want to point out for us. They didn't understand everything they needed to know. And I, I, it hurts me when people really do want to seek out God, yet they don't understand everything and that stops them. It is okay to not understand everything. And if some religious guru or church or somebody who thought they were all high and mighty like a Pharisee or a Sadducee 
thought they were higher than you and made you feel bad because you didn't know stuff. I'm here to tell you don't feel bad because they probably don't know stuff too. It's okay to not know and understand everything. It's good to check and seek things out. The Bereans well known for checking and seeking things out to make sure it was right. It's enough just to seek him. And here, here's what the angel says. Probably, probably some of the greatest phrases we could get as believers for this morning. Verse six. He's not here. He's risen. He's not here. He's risen. And th- then the angel has to throw in this, what I think is kind of like a little jab, just as he told you he was going to. Yeah. How many times did he tell you? How many illustrations did he give? Now, I don't know if the angel was literally just trying to punch him or just a, a gentle reminder, but I love that that, that phrase is thrown in there. Just as he told you he was going to do, he's did it. He's not here. But, but what does he follow through with saying? And at this moment, it really doesn't matter whether they believe what Jesus has said or not, because Jesus is gone. He's risen. He's risen from the dead. Look at what else the angel says. Come and see the place where he lay. Come and see the actual physical place where the physical body of Jesus was laying from Friday night till this morning. Come and check it out. Which reminds us, and we need to understand this, that the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. John chapter 20, verse 19 tells us that Jesus and his resurrected body could pass through barriers. So I don't think he needed the stone rolled away to walk out the tomb. It was rolled away so that others could come in and could see that he wasn't there. It was rolled away to persuade those that may have been in doubt that Jesus Christ really was raised from the dead. And these women, they look and they see that Jesus' body is no longer there. That the, the body that they had came seeking in the tomb is gone. The women that, that would have been so easy in us, we would have understood that had so many obstacles that could have said, what's the use? How will we ever get past this stuff? What about the stone? How, how will we do this? They didn't let obstacles deter them and thank God they didn't because look at what they would have missed out on. How about yourself? What obstacles are you letting deter you? Stop. Stop letting them deter you. Check some things out, man, because you won't be sorry that you did. Ask yourself, maybe make another list right now. You're at home. You've got plenty of paper and pencils most of you, right? What, what, what obstacle is stopping you this morning standing in the way? Is it a lack of faith? Scripture says then ask God to give you the faith that you need. Man, if you're missing it, he said he'll give it to you. Is it a sin? Jesus just, we, we just went over Holy Week and, and Passover Week. Jesus died to forgive your sin. Don't let sin stand in the way of seeking Jesus. Is it pride? James chapter 4, the Bible says, humble yourself before the Lord. He will lift you up. Is, is it a heavy burden that maybe you're carrying and you're not supposed to? First Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. What is it that's an obstacle standing in the way of you trusting in Christ and seeking Christ this morning? Get rid of it and trust God to roll the stone away. Because those that desperately are seeking Jesus means that we not only put him first, but we don't let nothing stand in the way. We, we don't let the fear of, of having to change and having to learn more. We don't let the fear of pride of always saying, I I had it right. I had it right. No, it's willing to say, hey, I had it wrong. Then it's time to change it. That's good stuff. Here's our last point. Last couple verses, seven through 10. Number three, desperately seeking Jesus means we joyfully obey his commands. I love this last part, man, because there's there's so much truth in it that I think believers need to grab a hold of. Look just at verse seven. Go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now, I have told you, look at the, just the very beginning of that verse. Go quickly and tell disciples that he's risen from the dead. Since, since these women had been the ones that were courageous enough to publicly identify themselves with Jesus, what an appropriate honor they get. 
They're the first with, with the, what we call the very beginning message, at least, of the good news. Notice I say the beginning, because if you think this is all that's good news, you've missed out on too much. Right? No, notice this now. You need to write this down. It's not the heads of the church that get this message. It's not even his own disciples and apostles that get this message. The first group to get the message of go and tell others is a bunch of lowly women, yet they were obedient, willing seekers. Tells me what Jesus is looking for then is obedient, willing seekers. Not just titles and not just positions. The angels tell them, go tell the disciples Jesus is alive. He's going ahead of them and he's going to meet him at Galilee, Galilee, which might I add was also told to them in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, he tells the disciples, after I've risen, I'll go ahead and I'll meet you in Galilee. Jesus was fulfilling every word he ever promised and ever spoke. Now the angel instructs him with the exact same thing. And he ends it with this phrase, now I've told you. The angel is kind of discharging of responsibility right here. He had a responsibility to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now the women have the responsibility to testify. That's why they rolled the stone away so these women could look in. Nobody will believe what you what you say you've heard. A lot of people believe what you say you've seen. So these women, they go in and they look and they see it. Now they are the ones that will go out and testify without any delay about what's going on. Same charge you and I get as believers. We have an obligation to pass on the good news, whether it's the beginning right here, the resurrection or all the good news that's bathed in scripture. Maybe after we give some testimony and some of that illustration, we can say the same phrase. Now I've told you it's your turn. Maybe we need to start remembering that now that we've heard it's our turn. Now that we saw, felt, and learned, it's our turn. And then we get to this verse 8, which I told you to put a note down for. And I know you're all really good note takers, so you did. But but get to this verse 8, and here's where, where things really change. What did these women do? They hurried. They hurried. They didn't lallygag around with their hands in their pocket. They didn't have a, a, a meeting. Well, let's get a committee together and vote on whether we should, how we can, what's the best way. They hurried away from the tomb. And then, then just the, the description of the emotions and feelings these ladies have. Afraid, look at verse 8, afraid yet filled with joy. Afraid yet filled with joy. Man, that, that's kind of like a, a strange way to describe somebody. I'm, I'm afraid, but I'm, but I'm filled with joy at, at the same time. Maybe, maybe it would have been a, a feeling that uh, Mitch and Abby would have had not long ago. You know, that, that marriage day, you know, you're afraid. But you're filled with joy at the same time. It's kind of a, a crazy feeling that's going on because it's something new, you know, but at the same time, the joy that comes behind being married is great. That maybe that's what these ladies were, were, were kind of feeling. They were afraid yet filled with joy. Well, what do you do when you're afraid yet filled with joy? You run. You just got to make sure you're running in the right direction. They ran exactly where they were told to. It said that they ran to tell his disciples. The angel told them to go quickly. The women joyfully obey. God is looking for some joyful, obedient people. You know, the reason more of the world's not seeking Jesus is because those that have, quote unquote, seek Jesus are the most boring, mean, ordained people I've ever met in my life most of the time, to be quite honest. Where's the joy? Nobody's going to want what you got if you've got no joy. We should be radiant. We should be shining like the snowflakes. Now, that sounds kind of weird. We shouldn't have did that. We, we, you shouldn't be a snowflake. You should be <laughs> like a group of snowflakes, right? So that when the light hits you, you're radiant and dazzling, right? Look, look at this quote by Spurgeon. This is awesome. Can't take credit for it. Spurgeon 
Saints running in the way of obedience are likely to be met by Jesus. Some Christians travel to heaven so slowly that they are overtaken by follies and by faults, by slumber or by Satan. But he who is Christ running football man, footman shall meet his master while he is speeding on his way. You want to meet Jesus and find out more about Jesus? Then start racing with obedience. Right? Start racing with obedience. Matthew does. Here's the thing on verse eight. He does something in his writing that you and I can't get in the English translation. It said that they hurried away from the tomb. Well, you go back to the note I gave you in verse one, tomb, verse one, meant to bury a burial place, a grave site. Basically what we thought it meant. You get to verse eight and the word for tomb in verse eight means this to remember. Now, now we don't get it in English. You'd, you'd have to dive back into their, their, their language and get it. But here's the change. Verse eight, this isn't this isn't just a word for a grave anymore. It's a word for a monument or, or memorial. Well, why the difference? Because he gets it. And, and the women got it when they said this. They came looking for a place where Jesus was buried. Yet he's not there any longer. So the tomb is no longer a grave. The tomb is now a memorial. It's a reminder. The reason you and I should look at this story at least and I notice that word at least at least every year, or at least once a year is because we need to be reminded. Now, I think we'll look at it again in a month when we get to the, the Feast of First Fruits a little bit, too. But, but we need to be reminded. The tomb was empty, so the women hurried away from a memorial to tell the disciples is basically what it translates out into for us. And as they ran in joyful obedience to spread the good news, here's what happens. Look at verse 9. Now, those that are seeking and hadn't found, please please grab this. Those, those people that have been in church for a long time and maybe hadn't felt Christ, please grab this. Obedience is what led them to Jesus. They went to seek Jesus. They still haven't found him as far as what they were actually seeking. Yet they got a word from the Lord. Some some of you have been seeking and maybe haven't found. You get a word from the Lord and it stops right there. You can't stop after the word of the Lord. You got to be obedient to the word of the Lord. In obedience, they ran to go tell the disciples. And because they were being obedient, they get a verse nine. Verse 9 says, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings. Can you imagine Jesus just like, what's up? <laughs> you know, for, for the, that's the very first phrase they, they say. They know who it is instantly. So much better than those disciples on the road to Emmaus, by the way. <laughs> they, they get him instantly because it says that they came to him, they grabbed his feet, and they worshipped him. They knew the response once they had met him. They came seeking Jesus, and at last they had finally found him because they were obedient, and obedience leads to Jesus. The Lord who they loved, whom they had been serving while on earth, whom they had seen crucified, dead and buried, now stands before them resurrected. Resurrected. And they fall at his feet in loving worship to him. And then Jesus addresses them in verse 10, which I think is beautiful because if if I was going to tell a cool story, it would be really cool if an angel spoke to me. But it would be even more awesome if Jesus spoke to me. So verse 10, Jesus speaks. Jesus said, I tell you, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Look at Jesus's words here, guys. He's saying the same thing the angel had said. Yet this time he adds this phrase, my brothers. My brothers. Look at the mercy. Look at the kinship, the wonderful kinship that the Christ is keeping here. Hebrews 2.11 tells us Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. I don't care what you've done how bad you think you are, how many times you've stumbled, how many times you fell, you need to rest assured in this. Jesus is not ashamed 
to call you his brother and sister if you're seeking him. Once again, the, the words of grace that are spoken to these disciples, disciples that had been quarreling together amongst themselves, that had been slow to believe, that had deserted Christ, that had huddled up in fear, that did not come seeking him in the morning. Yet Jesus says, go tell my brothers that I'm going to meet them. Go tell them, even though I know they've stumbled, I know they fell, I know they've been hiding, I know they didn't get up early this morning and come with you, go tell them. Go tell those guys that I still am ready to meet with them, just like I told them I would, where I told them I would. The fact of the resurrection is clear enough. I don't think that's a problem. We need to make sure as believers that we get the meaning of the resurrection. The resurrection proves that his death was an actual propitiation of sin that the Father had accepted it as such. That's what nails down this whole thing. You could say it this way. The cross was the payment. The resurrection is the receipt. The receipt that that, that, that Yahweh, Lord, had fully accepted the payment of sin. Women who came seeking him kept him first. And what a wonderful experience and privilege they get from this. Look back at it. Putting Jesus first. They came seeking him first thing Sunday morning, first thing after the Sabbath that they could. They let nothing get in their way. They ignored all the obstacles and the guards and they focused on Jesus. They focused on him and his word. Number three, they joyfully obeyed God's commands. Joyful obedience. Church, we had to get more joy in us. Maybe that would be added to your list here in just a minute that we're going to close with. They ran to tell the disciples the good news that they had met Jesus. They came to look in a grave and they left a memorial. They came with tears and sadness and they left trembling with joy. You will never be disappointed if you come seeking Christ and open your heart to his ways. Remember that promise at the very beginning. Go back and look at Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Not part, not some, not none, but all your heart. Let me encourage you this morning to to join in with a group that is desperately seeking Jesus. And I don't just mean in this season and this week and this weekend, I mean seeking him always. I, I mean, I mean realizing that, that holidays come and go, but holy days, they, they're on schedule to go out throughout a year on time for a reason. Let me encourage you to check this stuff out. Let me encourage you to answer this question. I said last week at a closing, I normally don't give a closing for the, for the week before, the week before. Sounds kind of weird to say now. But the closing was this. I said at the end of today, we will look at this. If we want what Jesus got, we got to do what Jesus did. So so if if you've got extra paper, whether you're sitting in here right now, we're not going to end on a song. We'll end with a prayer, of course. But but right now, I want you to take some time on these sheets of paper. Now, I had my kids do this, and I did this. And I want to share what we came up with. And, And I hope you get to add to it. If you say the phrase, I want what Jesus got. Well, well, then the first thing you got to say is what, what, what's Jesus got? You know, if I'm seeking him, I got to seek him to get what he has. What's Jesus? What's Jesus got? Here's what Jesus got. Jesus got back up. Most important, that's the first thing I came up with. He got back up. I want to get back up. I'm sick of getting knocked down. I'm even sick of Saturdays where it's quiet and I don't understand what's going on. I'm okay with them. Because I know God's working, but I'm just being honest. Emotionally, sometimes I get tired of the, of the wondering what's happening. I'm ready for the get back up part. All right, so he got back up. How about this? What else did Jesus have? Jesus had peace. Look at the life of Jesus. As, as we look at his death, we got to look at his life. Think about any funeral you go to. You look at somebody's life, right? Look at his life. Was Jesus ever in a rush? 
Do you ever see? And Jesus ran. Now, I do like the song when Jesus ran, he ran to me, but that was talking about him leaving heaven and coming to earth, right? But did he ever run while he was here? Nah. Think about his own disciples. They even told him, Jesus, we got to go. Nah, let the little kids come on. We can take time. Jesus, we got, nah, sit down. Let me tell you a story. He was never in a rush. How about worry? You ever see any moments where Jesus was worried? Even when, even when his friend died, Lazarus, you remember? He took days to get there. That doesn't sound like a guy who was worried. Right? He wasn't worried at all. Jesus was never worried. He was never in a rush because he had this peace. I, I want that special kind of peace. I really want that special kind of peace. I was surprised by this one making the list, but it's so true. Authority. Jesus had authority. Did he not? He had authority over his followers while he was here. He has authority now as he sits at the right hand of his father. He, he's going to have authority over his kingdom because he's the king of it, right? He had authority. <laughs> what one of us would not raise our hand and say, ooh, I want authority. I want authority, but I want it to be right authority, right? I, I, I've been placed as a husband and as a father. That's authority, but I need to make sure I'm doing it the right way. Authority, the right kind of authority. How about this one? Some of these, well, some of these are some of the next that will surprise you the most. How about glory? One of the kids that wrote down that he got glory and he got praise. But then they added, only from a tiny group. <laughs> How true is that, though? You and I sometimes are seeking glory and seeking praise, but we're seeking it from large groups. Let's look at Jesus. What did Jesus got? Jesus got glory and Jesus got praise, but it was from a tiny group. You, you need to make sure you understand that because sometimes large groups promote the wrong kind of glory and the wrong kind of praise. All right? So it's okay to want some glory and want some praise. What man wouldn't? But let's make sure we're getting it from the right source. And then, of course, this one had to make it. What Jesus got? Jesus got hurt. Now, I don't think any of us would truly want to say we, we need to be hurt, but we've been hurt. So we can probably honestly say there's a lot of lessons we learned by being hurt. And by Jesus being hurt, it also gave him a moment to recover with his father and recover as an individual. So be careful when you say, maybe I don't want to hurt because there's a lot to learn by being hurt. Be careful when you say you want all this other stuff, because if you want all this other stuff, then you got to get, you got to get hurt sometime. I hate to say that. That's not a real promising thing for Easter messages. <laughs> Glad we're talking about resurrection instead then. How about this one? This is a good one. This made me proud. It said that uh, one of the kids wrote down, they made his dad proud. Now, I don't know which dad they were talking about. I think both, <laughs> right? But what made his dad proud? Who doesn't want to make their dad proud? Who doesn't want to make Abba proud, right? These are the things that Jesus got. Now, I'll be honest. One, two, three, four, five, six. We had seven things on the list of what Jesus got. Now, you can think of more, and I hope you do. I really mean for this to be an exercise for you, right? What Jesus did, we filled up two sheets of paper on what Jesus did, which tells me this. Sometimes you got to do a lot more than you get. That ain't a real promising message either, is it? But that's all right. What did Jesus do? Let me just shout out a couple of them. I know you guys are ready for lunch. Shout out a couple. What did Jesus do? He was obedient to the Father, number one. No matter what was going on, he was obedient to Yahweh. He didn't let his, his feelings, he didn't let his fame, he didn't let even the high moments or the low moments push him away from obedience. He was obedient all the time. There's something we need to grab. What else did he do? He preached. Good lesson. How did he preach, though? Look at the way he preached. He asked questions. See, some of us want to preach at people rather than preach for people. Don't, don't, Jesus never really preached at people. When he preached, he asked questions to get their brain going. He gave illustrations so that they understood. 
And, and then he painted some pictures. And, and he did this. And, and I think more people responded to him than some of the ways we preach. So maybe we need to not only do what Jesus did, we need to do it the way he did it. How about teaching? Oh, he was a great teacher. He was a great teacher. He was, he was so, so smart and witty too. Even when, even when asked questions trying to stump him, I don't know if you looked at that during, during, uh, during Passover week. I, I was blown away by just how, how, how quick and witty Jesus was. I know it's probably a weird way to describe Jesus, but, but man, when, when the Sanhedrin and, and priest and, and, and others tried to trap him and, and the way he responded, man, go back and check that out. That'll make you hungry for it, right? How about this? He healed and he helped. Well, you say, oh, hold on, hold on, Pastor. I, I, you say we got to do what Jesus did. How can I heal and how can I help? I don't know. How can you? I can tell you how I can do it. But how can you? How can we help? How can we help? He sacrificed. We, we need to learn that it takes sacrifice. To, to do what Jesus did takes sacrifice. Not, not just dying on the cross. He sacrificed so much more. He, he sacrificed relationships. He sacrificed when he said no to sin every time. He sacrificed when he went to do things in his father's way instead of his way. Sacrifice. He served. He served. We remember in this week that he actually washed feet. He served. He sat down at the table with a guy he knew was going to betray him. Some of you can't sit down at a table with family members right now because of that. But Jesus did. He fed people. Man, what a better time to start feeding and helping people. One of the kids wrote down, he didn't sin. Now, I don't know if you can go without sinning, but you can start sinning less. I think so. Huh? I think we should sin less today than we did yesterday and so forth. My personal favorite out of the list, he loved. He loved. He not only loved his father, but he loved others. He touched. Now, I know we got this social distancing thing going where we're supposed to say don't touch, but I think it's time we start touching the lives of others. And that doesn't just have to be physically. He was willing. He was willing. Man, how much more could you and I accomplish if we would just be willing? He was praised. He praised and he prayed. That's good stuff. He always knew to take time to spend with the father and pray. He always knew to take time to praise the father for stuff. I don't know which kid wrote it down because I copied this onto another list. Somebody wrote it down. He made some of them mad. <laughs> That's good stuff right there. You laugh. That's good stuff. I'm going to tell you, if you want to get some of the stuff Jesus got, you got to make some people mad. And you got to be okay with that. Not just making people mad to be a jerk, but making people mad because you're being obedient to the Father. He resisted Satan's temptations. Some of us need to start resisting more temptation. Some of us need to, to open our eyes to see it. And then the last one, I think all three of them had this. He was resurrected. He was resurrected. Church, if we want to get what Jesus got, we ought to start doing what Jesus did. You know what I mean? Think about this. If you study the last week of Jesus' life, he was so obedient in that last week, following through Passover and all the rest of the stuff. If you look at his life, he was obedient his whole life and the things he was supposed to be doing. These women didn't know much at the beginning, <laughs> but but they did what they knew they knew. And I think maybe some of us need to grab a hold of that this week, this year, this time period. I understand, and I think God understands, that we don't know everything we're supposed to know. But these women acted on what they knew at the moment. And then they got a little bit more information, and they acted on that information. Let's stop being afraid to learn more about the Lord, and let's start being open to learning more. Let, let's let this be a springboard right now into a new season of our life. Well, we're getting back up. 
where we're promised victory and we're constantly going to learn more so that we can do more. And if you're willing to do that, I think scripture is right. I think we won't be disappointed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today and this morning. God, I thank you for, for a story we get to look at yet again. To be reminded, Lord, of the victory that you promise every single one of us. Lord God, to be reminded of the, the payment of our sin, Lord God, but also, Lord, the resurrection of Christ. Lord, that we can be reminded, God, that we've got a job to do now. God, that we need to seek you and put you as number one. God, remind us right now of things that have gotten in the way of putting you at number one. God, help us to remove the obstacles and not be afraid. God, help us to joyfully be obedient to what it is you've called every single one of us to do. And in that obedience, Lord God, to have the courage to tell others, now you go and do the same. God, let's start a fire. And may your Holy Spirit come down, Lord God. Even though Pentecost is coming, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit go ahead and come down early, Lord God, and send that gushing wind to scatter this fire as far as your children are willing to go. God, make us willing and obedient. Lord, even though there's fear, make us joyful to follow through. In your great name we pray. Amen.